Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. I'm Tom, and very shortly I'll be joined by my good pals Gabe and Josh. Tonight is our final installment of Rise of the Nuns, Part 3. We know we left you hanging with Rise of the Nuns, Part 2, so we are really going to try to wrap this up in a neat bowl for you like any good ending to a trilogy. I'd like to say this is going to be like Back to the Future 3, where there's a clear sense of closure and all that is all is right in the world. Although there is that last part where Doc comes back on the train, so you know there's a little bit more to the story. In our case, that's heaven. But more than likely, this is going to be end up being like the third Matrix, where we just completely lose our way for three-fourths of the episode, then attempt to answer all the questions we brought up in the last two episodes, only, only to leave your mind partly blown, but at the same time knowing in your heart that if we had just spent about two more weeks writing that thing, they could have had a better ending. Not to mention that any credit, credibility that Keanu Reeves built with the first Matrix has now been shattered into a million pieces. Josh, here's looking at you, buddy. You're but again, aiming for Back to the Future 3. Or Return of the Jedi. You know, Indiana Jones wasn't really a connected story, so you're like, I don't want to go there. James Bond doesn't count at all. I mean, what with the changing of the actors? Lord of the Rings, maybe, but with less singing. I mean, there's Tom, lots you gotta of stop. You gotta stop, buddy. And that what is... where when did they sing in Lord of the Rings? Yeah, that doesn't even oh, happen the... at all. No, at Have the you end ever seen when... Lord of the Rings? You are the worst. Oh my gosh. The Hey worst. Seriously, Listen. the th- the third the third movie where where uh, Aragorn is singing. You oh, missed that one, part? One song out of like eight hours of film? Yeah. Good lord. Hey, you, oh my god. Eight, twelve. You guys, twelve hours, Tom. Twelve. Listen. Okay. So, now that Tom's done with his rant, let me do our shout outs. First of all, no, 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 no wait. No. Because all I ever hear on this episode is you guys quoting this book that you read and this, and you've never read the books of the Lord of the Rings because every third page is them breaking into song. I have Go read back the and read Lord of the Rings. Like Sound of Music, which I also did not include in the last episode because I refused. I'm sorry. You're talking about films, Tom. Nope. Not the nope. books. Culture. I read yeah, the culture. books. Yeah. Plus, you can't hear singing in a book. Yeah. No one in is my singing. Head, they're singing. Yes, in your head. You're getting Listen. so old. I feel like I feel like ah. we need to. Im- the hills Im- are alive. Somewhere. Okay, Gabe, please save us. All right. Please Shout out. Here we go. What? Make sure to check out Tom. Make sure to check out our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, Pint Glass Preach. You can also find us on the Instagram. We would love to connect with you on there. Oftentimes, people will write a comment or two, and we don't respond because we think the other guy is going to do it. But still, do it anyways because we'd love to connect with you. One of these times, we're going to get it together. Be sure to check out our uh, our partners in uh, the social media game, uh, the Gospel Economist. That is where you can find our. Uh, 
stuff, our episodes. So the Gospel Economist is made up of a group of writers and bloggers that seek the story of Jesus Christ and his payment for our sins in our everyday lives. Check them out at www.medium.com slash the Gospel Economist. That is where our podcast is hosted now. Also, you can go to the beggarsblog.com in which they are going to start uh, push, putting links for our episodes as well. And our good friend, Josh Woodrow, just wrote an article for the, the beggars blog, and it is fantastic. It's about urban ministry and the ugliness of church planning and how hard it is uh, and the tears and the blood and the pit stains. And so we encourage you to, uh, to check that out. That's it for our shout outs. It is such a good, it is such a good time to talk about drinking because Gabe, I don't know how many Kleenexes you and I have shared and beers we popped over. Oh, the joys of church planting. It's been rough, buddy. Is that, is that, does that make us alcoholics? If I said that we like drink while we lament tough things in our lives? Well, we all deal with our things our own ways. For me tonight, I'm dealing with my struggles with uh, (laughs) Mosaic IPA. Uh, by Community Beer Company. It's a it's a fantastic IPA. It's actually probably my my current favorite right now. It's in uh, based out of Dallas. Community Beer Company is based out of Dallas, Texas. And is it's, that a uh, church beer company? Because I feel like the name Community Beer Company and then Mosaic IPA. I feel like that's a real like some church starter brewery, and they made a beer called Mosaic IPA. Well, if there's any city that would have that, it'd be Dallas. So I don't know, but it's a good beer. So I don't really care. Oh, what's that sound, you ask? Mm. That is what I'm drinking tonight, which, by the way, the aroma of just like pure, unadulterated hop resin just almost knocked me out of my chair, which kind of smells a little bit like weed, but it's hops, so don't get them twisted. I am cracking open a Hialai India Pale Ale from the Cigar City Brewing Company. You know, like the game with like the weird banana-shaped you know, thing, and you throw the balls, the banana-shaped hammock, and you throw the ball. High lie. You know that? Yeah, it's a California, buddy. We don't play those voodoo sports. All right. It's a classic Native American game, but guys, come on now. I'm going to pour this and start drinking. Tom, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, tonight I'm going to win an award for the greatest named beer that we have had on this show. I am drinking a beer from Evil Twin Brewing Company, and I am drinking their beer called Cognac Barrel Age Jesus. (laughs) What? (laughs) Are you serious? Yes. Yes, I am. Cognac. Cognac Barrel-Aged Jesus. Barrel-Aged Jesus. I'm not sure how I feel about that, TBH. Well, S-M-H. I feel yeah. good about SMH. it because it's awesome. Uh, SMH. SMH, you're shut down. That's not the greatest yeah. name. That's the most blasphemous name that we've yeah. ever had on this show. <laughs> Blasphemy. Well, oh, boy. just wait until next next week then when I drink their uh, their second beer that came out, Even More Jesus. Oh, Lord. Dude, if you die, Tom, while we're recording this episode, all of us will know, all of our listeners will know that your death was caused by blaspheming the the Lord. And it was justified. Yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) So if you die, Gabe, we're rolling solo. Yep. Dude, so, man, here we are, the third in our series on Rise of the Nuns. What went on in our last two episodes? Was that a question? Or are you asking? You, or I'm asking you because, Josh, you actually edit them. So what happens yeah. is we record them, and then I pretend like the night never happened because I'm really 
anxious about the quality of our show. Wow. Okay. Well, let me remind you, Gabe, that in our first episode of Rise of the Nuns, we had a uh, fantastic conversation with my friend Jefferson Hodge about he would consider himself religious, but not spiritual, and how being raised in the church, particularly the Catholic church, sort of created more questions than answers. And so while he appreciates the structure of religion, um, now he just kind of identifies himself as sort of like a pseudo-Christian, I guess. But last episode, we talked to your friend um, about being uh, unaffiliated in that affiliation of religious unaffiliation. Yes. Well, and I seem to remember her story being, you know, my friend Katie, uh, she was wonderful to talk with. And and her story was that, you know, she grew up in the church as well. And then as she went away to college, kind of looked at the hypocrisy of others and then looked at the hypocrisy of herself and thought, man, no one's doing this. No one's actually living into this. So I guess let's stop pretending about it. And just she just said that was it. That was it for her. Yeah. Well, speaking of college and our conversation tonight, uh, for the second year in a row, I'd like to call it an annual thing, but I'm not entirely sure I'm going to be invited back next year. I get to go speak at a communications class on race, media, and gender at our local University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. And uh, while I was there, you know, the, yeah, what's the mascot? Uh, the Mox. Go Mox. Yeah. You would think it's a shoe, but it's actually it's a poisonous water snake. Oh, like, the, like a water moccasin. Exactly. Exactly. So it'll kill you. And, Got it. Okay. Race, media, relations. Yeah. So anyway, um, Dr. Elizabeth Gailey, who invited me to speak in this class, and last year Mark came with me, this year you can make it, um, invited us, uh, albeit she's completely irreligious and is very outspoken about the fact that she is not a religious person and really never has been. And so she and the class was very hesitant to have me as a religious figure, a Christian pastor, a theologian, to participate in this question Um in such a heated political climate, uh, talking about race, media, and gender. And I think the assumption was that I, I probably wouldn't be in touch with reality. I would not be offering any type of intelligence, you know, points to the conversation. And that I would just be like trying to mass convert the class uh, into followers of Jesus Christ. And what was really funny to me and, and really enlightening was last year, no one really commented on that when I was there. But this year, as these students were leaving, 20-year-olds, I think they're juniors, were leaving the class, a number of them, not to me directly, but commented to the professor and said, hey, for a pastor, uh, he sort of knew what he was talking about. Hey, for a, a Christian, um, especially a Christian leader, a religious leader, uh, he was pretty articulate and could really address a lot of things that were happening in not only the, the political climate, but uh, the socioeconomic climate and, and kind of sociological climate for that matter today as well. And at first I was like, oh, great. I didn't make a complete idiot out of myself like I'm prone to do. But then as I was thinking about it, like moving on, I'm like, man, so here I am. I've, I've got two degrees and our MDiv at our seminary at least is like 120 hours. So it's pretty darn exhaustive. And the assumption by all of these college students was that I would just be some blowhard who wanted to like throw water and baptize an entire class all at once, not really knowing what I was talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so while it was comforting to know that I didn't blow it, it was also eye-opening that even in the last 12 months, there has been a significant shift from, at least here in the South, this kind of assumption of uh, authoritative 
you know, uh, opining from religious leaders to the assumption that we basically have no idea what we're talking about. Well, that doesn't that kind of, I mean, doesn't that come from what, I mean, what we see in the media from, from some of the religious right, the religious leaders that we do see that are, that are saying all sorts of things that aren't necessarily Christian. Well, yeah. And I mean, th and that's actually what uh, a couple of the students brought up in the class. They were like referencing politicians who were trying to rely on their supposed Christian faith um, as the informative, you know, influence on their political decision making. And so they were like, well, what about you? Do you let your faith, you know, kind of determine your political outlook on things? And I was like, yeah, actually I do. But the distinction I made was that I don't use that to exploit the other person in the conversation to my own personal gain or my own political gain. And uh, what was really fascinating was at the end of the class, this, you know, this young woman comes up and she goes, Hey, I would consider myself a recovering Christian. Like I grew up church of God and you know, I would have expected you to come in here and basically just saying that you only um, are a pastor in an urban neighborhood so that you can like under the guise of meeting needs uh, essentially like kind of slip in the gospel underhandedly. And she goes, at least you're not doing that. So thank you. You know, but it still, it was like, there was this assumption that exploitation is a direct result of, you know, Christian influence on uh, political decision and, and cultural, you know, um, engagement. That the end game is just our own advancement and our own. Um, yeah. Our own agenda. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that is that is really interesting. I, I will say, Josh, I'm really disturbed you didn't go for an altar call at the end. I thought oh, I did, like, we kind of agreed for this. No, I, I did, but we only had a couple. And when I started speaking in tongues, everyone got freaked out. And Fair enough. It just kind of fell and, apart. And I'm assuming you wearing the robes and whatnot during <laughs> the presentation got in the way, too. Yeah, so. like the bishop hat and like the miter staff, it was just, oh, dude. I think I may have gone just a little bit too overboard in my zeal for conversions. Yeah. That's well, nice, nice work, Josh. Uh, we are going to, we're going to go to break. We're going to come back. We are going to have a guest. We have Alex with us, a uh, friend of Gabe. And so we're excited about that. Uh, but in the meantime, I'd love for you to enjoy some uh, sound of music because you didn't get to hear it on no, the last episode. I'm not playing the sound of music. I'm episode. not doing that. Sound no, of music. Break. Sound of music. Hey everybody, welcome back. We hope you enjoyed that selection from Sound of Music. Not Josh, happen. thank you that for editing happen. that in. You're really, lying. Really You're lying to our listeners right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, we are back and we're with our good friend, Alex Doty. Uh, I guess I should say she's mostly my good friend. Uh, I met her uh, at a little coffee shop called Roasters. She was a, one of the most wonderful baristas I ever had, but has now become a very good friend. And I've been... Uh, 
So blessed to have awesome conversations with her and her recent fiance, uh, Andy, which is, is very exciting for them. Uh, but uh, Alex is, is a very talented person. Um, she is an illustrator. Uh, she has a website, adoty.com. If you get a chance, check her stuff out. Uh, she does some some awesome stuff. She does she does fun things. She does things that speak to, to social issues, to, to gender roles, to all sorts. So just check it out. It'll blow your mind. Uh, I, I love her work. And uh, she's been a dear friend. And uh, she's now also spends her days blowing glass and doing floral design. Uh, so she's just a multi-talented person. Um, in addition to uh, being my token non-religious friend in random circumstances in which she's very gracious to do that um, because then I was like, along to parties or something like, man, I well, should that's really my thing. Bring- I'm like, Hey, I'm the pastor who has a non-religious friend. And everyone's like, what? You are yeah. so exploitative game. Nice. I know it's bad, but if we're honest about it, it makes it okay. Right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, if one day you want to kill me, I understand. Um, but thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Dude, so Alex, we are in part three of our series, uh, Rise of the Nuns, and we're not talking about Catholic women wearing habits. Uh, we're talking N-O-N-E-S, uh, people that would identify as non-religious. And so we just love to kind of hear your story um, in as much as you want to share, and kind of in particular as it re- relates to maybe where you're at in faith or non-faith right now. Yeah, for sure. Um well, I grew up in the Twin Cities. I grew up in Minneapolis, specifically like southeast Minneapolis. Um, yeah. 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 Shout out. Um, the best. No, never done. I love Minneapolis. It's so great. Um, I moved to Austin where I met Gabe about about two years ago. I actually moved um, because I finished college and I wanted to not be long distance anymore with, as Gabe mentioned, my now fiance, Andy. Um, so, you know, that worked out, which is great. But, yeah, I grew up in southeast Minneapolis. Um, I'm an only child. My parents got divorced when I was about 10 or 11, um, which I only bring up because it's significant to my, to my sort of faith journey insofar as my mom sort of adopted Christianity while my parents were still married as like a weird coping mechanism. And that really mm-hmm. colored how I saw it kind of moving forward and especially how she used that to cope with a divorce that wasn't super fair to my dad um and she kind of used she used a certain amount of christian mythos to make herself feel okay about exploiting him a little bit so again that kind of colored that kind of colored my faith and how i'd seen that growing up um i went to church a lot as a kid i did awana for a lot of years and yeah. then guards i don't know if everybody does guards or if that was just my church. i've never heard of guards but yeah I've, I, never heard, I've heard of awana but not guard yeah i don't know if that was just like my is that like the next like, level thing? Yeah, you're like the yeah. praetorium of Awana or something. Like you guard the Awana, you know, so no heathen come in. Maybe. I mean, at my church, yeah, you did Awana until you were whatever age, like 13. And then if you were a girl, you did guards. And if you were a boy, you did scouts or champs or something sporty. I don't know. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. <laughs> um, and then once you were like 15 or 16, you did the like teen program. And I did all of those because I just loved like, I loved the like community of church. Like I loved my friends there and I loved like going every week and the, the Awana games, all oh, man with the pin and the beanbag, oh, the best. Mm. I like the um, Awana game. Oh, so good. So, so bad. So good. So bad. Yeah, there's okay, some so truly, 
Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like I kind of came up, like I said, I kind of came up with Christianity. I came up with church and I came up really enjoying, especially kind of the youth community side of church. Um, and as I got older, that kind of got, I don't want to say spoiled. Spoiled is too loaded a term, but got yeah. altered for me kind of based on my perceptions of adults in my life handling religion in different ways. Mm. Like um, adults, sorry to interrupt, but like adults no. within the church or adults outside of the church? Like were these Both. people that had been like leaders, you know, that you had basically been like looking up to or like mentoring you, so to speak, kind of thing. Um, and you kind of saw through the veil, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, both. Both. Definitely, okay. Definitely both. both. Okay. Cool, um, cool. So that's happening like high schoolish. You're like, eh, this is a little shady with some of these folks. It's a little earlier. It was probably like middle schoolish, maybe 11, okay. 12, 13, that zone. Okay. Um, and the further I got into high school, the more, um, I mean, you know, as, as should happen, the more independent I got and the more independent my thinking became. Um, I'm, I'm a very strong feminist. I have been for a really long time and sort of as I think maybe my first like really concrete ability to articulate like mm, something is fishy here was the way that a lot of Christian women, as I knew them, sort of presented that Christianity in conjunction with womanhood just didn't mm. sit well with me. And so that was the first thing that I was able to be like, mm, nope, definitely don't like this. Mm. And from there on, it was, I sort say of like. Uh, well, I think a good example is I also went to Christian like church camp every summer from when I was about eight till I was probably 13. Um, yeah, quick, quick shout out to anybody listening who lives in Wisconsin or Minnesota and wants to send their kids to a great camp. Look up Northern <laughs> Grace Youth Camp. It's the best. Thank um, you. It's, it's the best. It's a great place. And you can really, you should really send your children there. Even though I'm not particularly Christian anymore, I still think it was a great place to be as a kid. There you go. Camp's the best. Um, so, camp's so best. sorry, you had but an so example every, Yes, every year at this camp, um, there would be like one night where you go out with your cabin and you're out in the wilderness and you have, you know, a deep talk and you have like a special kind of sermon from yes. your camp counselors. And you guys, 100% of the time, it was a woman who was, you know, 19 or 20 telling me about how I shouldn't lose my virginity until I was married. 100% of the time. That was what those sermons were. It was always an abstinence, like altar call kind of thing. Yes. And, you know, wow. they would do the thing where they would like have a flower and they would pass it around and everyone would take a petal, which is a troubling metaphor on several levels. So, so the only, I don't want to say like the only, but, but one of the main experiences, if not the only experience you had with this enculturation of biblical womanhood was completely grounded and like wholly identified with chastity. That's just one example. Like that's just sort of oh, one okay, expression of what I think is this like underlying message. Sure. But that was one of those things where again, when 100% of that messaging is about that, I think that's, that's a problem. And that's a problem that I was able to recognize pretty easily at that age because it was so consistent, you know? Mm, sure. Yeah. Totally. Sure. 
Okay. Um, All right. So you got church camp and you're like, dude, I understand it. Gender roles within the church. You're not on board with. Right. And then what happens? Um, and then, yeah, it's like, like I said, that was kind of the first thing that I could articulate that I was unsettled by in, um, in Christianity as, as I'd experienced it thus far. Sure. Um, and that kind of led me to be able to analyze and pick apart and articulate more things that maybe that have really never quite sat right with me, but I didn't really have um, a basis to think about in a particularly intellectual way. Sure. You know, like they were they were kind of a feeling, and that gave me the ability to think about them as thoughts, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I like went on, the older I got, I went on like a handful of mission trips, and I didn't feel very good about those. Um, and I eventually so just got to this. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so you're like in it deep. I mean, you weren't I just. Say, man, you're like. You were like, I mean. But but in the whole time that you're just like completely engulfed with this, these you're still ha- and, and really wrestling with like all of these these tensions and questions that that keep coming up almost at every angle. It seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And there was even this kind of like personal angle too, where I felt like like it's very easy for me to sort of, especially now, to articulate the intellectual problems I have with like certain Christian tenets. Uh, the thing that I eventually came to realize is even though I was, like you said, kind of in it deep, was that I never I never felt that connected to God through Christianity. Mm. And that was the thing that took me a long time to figure out. And uh, honestly, a long time to not feel just out and out ashamed of. Sure, mm. sure. Wow. That's a, sorry, and I, that's a powerful line, like the, to not feel connected to God through Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. like I'll just yeah. say it as a pastor, like I'm just sitting, I'm like, what? Like, it's just <laughs> like, like, how could you not? Um, well, Gabe, let me ask you this because this is something that, uh, Alex, tell me which church you grew up in again. I grew up, I don't know, I'm from Minnesota, probably Lutheran. Um, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure because it kind of started, it started so young that I was just like, Christian, yep. Like I didn't even quite recognize that there were that there was no, more sure. to it than that, and I never yeah. really. I think Awana isn't Awana sort of limited to like Baptist evangelical circles. Is that yeah? Is that what that is? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe. Typically, it, 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 it usually is, and, and that's why that's why I bring this up because mm-hmm. in all my interactions with with people who are in the more evangelical circles they've always got these amazing God stories and how like just at this one time and it just, you know, just hit them. And every day they have this amazing moment, you know, and, and I've always been jealous of that because I've never felt that connected. And one of the things I've always connected it to is because my dad's a pastor and growing up, it was just part of everyday life that, mm-hmm. you know, when dad came home and talked about something, you know, it, it usually had faith connotations that there was, um, you know, something that happened at the church or, or man, I can't believe this person said this about this book of the Bible, you know, and theological conversation ensued, you know? And so, and then going mm-hmm. to camp, same as you, uh, growing up in a very strong Christian household that this is not something any different than breathing. 
you know, and so I've never had that miracle moment, you know, and so I always felt very jealous of those people who have had that. And yet I, I, I can't speak to that all the time. And so when you say that, like, I never felt really connected to God, I, I get that a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of, especially in the evangelical world that I haven't had that experience. I don't know if you gave growing up in pastor's household, if you ever thought that or Josh, I didn't you grow know. up in a pastor's household. I don't know. No, I know you. I know you didn't, but I know you grew up in a in a Christian household. So, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, I think there is though. Like to your point, Tom. Like there's this weird thing in in American Christianity that's pretty unique to the last I don't know fifty years. That like if you don't have some definitive experience, like this moment where it's switched, then you may not really be a Christian. Uh, which is kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, and we in, in more, uh, I don't know what the word is, more traditional denominations, we don't really talk that way. Like that's just not part of, of who we are. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I, I guess I wouldn't say growing up, I felt like Christianity hindered my experience of God. I mean, of course, I mean, I was, I'm a Christian pastor. Okay. But, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it definitely, it definitely funneled it. So I think there's a distinction between saying like, I had this moment of God and, you know, maybe I haven't had those specific, like that singular moment where everything shifted, but because it's been so imprinted in my soul, I'm not going to shake it versus if I'm understanding Alex correctly, it was like, my understanding of God or the supernatural or whatever, Christianity didn't seem to aid that at all and maybe even seem to get in the way of that. Is that fair, Alex? Yeah. Well, okay. at when I was younger, yeah. Well, and I think, Gabe, for, for a lot of the Reformation-era church bodies, you know, Lutherans, Calvins, Reformed, that kind of thing, I think it's we, – we a lot of times will emphasize the – the connection, so to speak, comes through the fa family unit. And so, Alex, yep. I, I I hope that I'm not going to overstep my bounds since I literally just met you. But one thing that's that's been kind of on the back of my mind as you've been sharing your story is what was, you know, s since your, your mother's use of Christianity, like you said earlier, is sort of this like coping mechanism through obviously a, a tough time in terms of divorce. But mm -hmm. when you started to have and were able to articulate a lot of these kind of questions or doubts or, you know, just sort of like discrepancies that you were seeing, was she someone that you could go talk to about these things at that point? Like, no. was her faith, you know, like <laughs> growing or strong or was everything, were the wheels just coming hey, off all don't over Don't sugarcoat it, Alex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, and actually, that one. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's who you can tell I'm being really honest. For sure. Um, no, definitely not. And actually, when you talk about that idea of like that evangelical like miracle moment, um, a thing that also I think made it hard for me to continue to feel connected to, to, to continue to feel connected to my mom, especially when it came to spirituality, is my mom kept kind of manufacturing these miracle moments for herself to justify what, in my view, has been bad behavior. Mm. Well, it was a lot of her choosing to do a thing that was maybe not very conscientious of other people and then saying like, God told me to, I have to like, 
you know, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. even even as a 10 year old, you see that and you're like, mm, you smell that you smell that bullshit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the interesting question that I I don't know if it's interesting, I shouldn't say it that way. The question I have is that if you if you were smelling BS on your mom, then why does that color? If you knew that that brand of Christianity wasn't right, why did you let that color then everything else about it? Well, one, because she's my mom and any psychologist or therapist will tell you like that stuff is important. Um, (laughs) You know, like she was kind of my model for, you know, she was my model for existence. Like that's just true of most people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when the only, or I shouldn't say the only, but probably the most emotionally significant role model I had for spirituality was someone who I was just getting bullshit off of all the time. It made me feel like maybe like either the whole thing was, was fake or, or that it was so prone to being fake that it could be so easily twisted this way. Or maybe I was doing it wrong if I, if it didn't look like that for me and that's why mm. it seemed fake. Yeah. So it just kind of, it didn't, it didn't help the sort of crisis I already felt, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, absolutely. Can I ask this, Alex, just because I know, um, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your skirt. I know you're a very, like, well-thought person, well-read person. Um, And so, I mean, even the fact that you're able to distance yourself and have this sort of self-reflection on your growing up, like, a lot of people aren't even able to do that. And so, it's like you're able to do that says a lot. You know, now, as you look at Christianity uh, or or the faith, whatever, what, what is that? What does that look like for you now? I mean, because even, I mean, Andy, I think self-identifies as a Christian. Uh, You hang out with probably the coolest pastor in the entire world. Uh, And so, but that's me, by the way. And Uh, so humble. And so exactly. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. We've been saying this for so many episodes. Thank you. Thank you. You know, so so how do you look at it now where where you have like your fiance who self-identifies as a Christian? What's it look like for you now? What's your relationship to the church now? Um, my relationship to the church now is, I th- I hope a lot better than it was when I was younger and struggling more. Um, kind of the metaphor I've come to and found a lot of peace in, um, is this idea that like, so f- quick tangent, but it matters. I promise. Um, I've always had a huge problem with the label agnostic and I've never felt like agnostic fit for me because I feel like agnostic is somebody who isn't sure if there is anything out there, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have never, ever felt unsure about that. I've always Mm -hmm. felt very sure that there is something bigger than me, bigger than you, bigger than all of us combined that ties us together and works in, for lack of a better word, a, a spiritual magical way. Sure. Um, that being said, I'm never going to buy crystals. Don't get worried. <laughs> yes. Um, you have no trips to Sedona, Arizona planned anytime soon, do you? No, not, not okay. for right now. All right. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've always, I always I, my experience of the world is very strongly that there is something larger. Um, and the, the metaphor I like, to, I like to use and I like to think of is it's kind of like, it's kind of like the internet. Like there is this big, nebulous, hopelessly complicated thing 
and you use different sort of you use different browsers to act as your platform to access that thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of to me it's kind of like Christianity is one browser, Islam is another browser, Judaism is another browser. Um, some of us are are you know trying to figure out Linux code. I don't know, like <laughs> those nerds. Yeah, nerds. Yeah, nerds. Yeah. So now my relationship is sort of that. It's this idea that um, I can really find a lot of fellowship in the idea that that we're all accessing the same thing and we're all, you know, we're all just doing our best. Sure. Um, and that if someone is using a, a different browser than I am, that's okay. That's okay. And that doesn't mean that I can't find that same fellowship with them. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Well, I, I would <laughs> say, Alex, I certainly appreciate not just like your honesty, but in a sense, the vulnerability to share. I mean, like whether like it is an incredibly vulnerable thing to have to or, or at least be willing to share, you know, some like, I mean, spirituality is, is sort of an intimate thing. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. the world, particularly the Christian world, is full of a ton of judgment. Uh, and so thank you for. I mean, just sharing some honest insight into your journey through, you know, the earlier years of your Christian spirituality and even kind of where you're at today. And um, I just hope that for our listeners, I actually really appreciated that last analogy and metaphor you gave of browsers because too often we tend to just like pretend that other browser windows um, in other people aren't as legitimate or don't seem as legitimate. Uh, to or like to us as they do to someone else and so the fact that we can kind of exist and have dialogue uh, about those things uh, really needs to be just emphasized especially in this day and age so appreciate it, Alex thanks for sharing yeah thanks so much for having me it was really it was really nice it was nice to talk to you guys I'm still just trying to figure out which which religion is Internet Explorer it the worst us, one. Dude. The oh, worst one. Oh, I feel like what a loaded question. Don't even. Don't even. <laughs> yeah. Let's cut man. the sound of music, everybody. Sound of music. Here we sound go. Of music. No, no, <laughs> never again. No. Thanks for joining us, Alex. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks again. All right, everybody, that was the famous song where Maria is walking with the kids down the road and they bust out in Do Re Mi. So no, it was that not. That was great. Thank you for putting that on there, Josh. Certainly was not. We wore him down. We finally got to hear the sound of music. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the first thing that I want to I want to get to a little bit is the Internet browser question, because. I mean, I think we even spoke to this a little bit in the last episode, or maybe this was another conversation, this, you know, it's a bunch of people in a dark room and there's an elephant and we're all touching a different part of the elephant. We all think it's a different animal, but when, you know, it's all really the same thing, uh, you know, we get that, we get that a lot. It, it, is, Islam, uh, is Islam and Christianity and Judaism, is it all really just the same? No, and I don't, I don't think that even my admiration of that analogy that Alex used. I don't think that, that I actually, you know, or I shouldn't say actually, I don't think that I believe that it's the same elephant, you know, we're all kind of touching different parts, but 
I do see uh, a lot of validity in the sense of saying that our spiritual, cultural, religious, you know, political, sociological, anthropological, and anything else that ends with an ical, you know, our, our frames are viewed with a certain perspective. Um, and I, I think that it is fair to say and pretty accurate that a ton of different people essentially have these different browser windows of which they view things in the world, whether it's suffering, whether it's, you know, joy, whether it's, you know, life, blessings, whatever you want to call it. And so... Yeah, that's called a worldview. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I, I think that's all that Alex was saying was that, like, these different browsers are different worldviews, um, you know what I mean? And they're all pulled up and people are utilizing them in that way. So to just... Even though I believe that I have the best, you know, browser um, or that I have the true browser or whatever words you want to use, can't undermine the fact or, or like really like tear down someone else. You know, I, I can't use that to so, but as dude, a leverage the, to tear down someone else. And I certainly don't want to like tear a person down, but let's, I don't know, use this illustration. Let's use the elephant. There is such a thing as the internet. There is such a thing as an elephant. And so it's not just a tusk and it's not just Internet Explorer. It's, it's, it's a thing that actually exists. And to me, this is where the difference comes in with Christianity and in that the radical claim of Jesus is that he's saying, I'm the elephant. Like, take your blindfolds off. It's me. You can see the whole thing right now you know, or take your blindfolds off. doesn't matter what browser you use. Like I'm it. I'm the WWW. Like exactly. So, but, so but you're not going to know that that is taken entirely on faith, which is a, a faith that I share, but is not going to be confirmed until the elephant walks into the room and says, Hey, what, up? But what I'm saying is the elephant did walk into the room. That's called the incarnation. Okay. I mean, no, but that, that's the whole point. Yes. Yes. You're absolutely right. But, but, at what point is our faith to it, it from a biblical perspective, from a Christian biblical perspective, at what point is our faith in Christ to be confirmed eternally? Well, right. So, so we see through a, a mirror dimly, right? Yeah. So that's what I'm, that, okay. that's all I'm saying is that like, yes, I believe Jesus to be the elephant. I believe Jesus to be, you know, the best internet browser, whatever analogy we want to use, but that is a, a purely faith move. It is a purely faith foundation that I stand on. And I trust that that is the faith that will well, be confirmed, but I can't know that for certain. But I'm not going to – no, yep. you can't know it for certain, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like – you know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, well, Christianity is touching the tusk and Islam is touching I'm not the tail. Like that's nonsense. No, but you you can't – like this is why we rail against like Bible thumpers is to say I've got the elephant. I've got the Bible. I've got the absolute truth. And so every single way that you look at the world, if it's through a different lens, is so fundamentally wrong that I'm going to tell you this is the right way no matter what, and I'm going to be a complete douchebag about it. That's all I'm saying. Is well, that, you don't have to be a douchebag about it, but to, I'm not going to pretend like I don't know what the elephant looks like. I'm not saying that I do, but what I'm saying is – so like, okay, let's take a look at um, – Gosh, what's a really great example that's going on right now? Oh, I don't know, immigration. Okay. And we've got a lot of people who say they know what the elephant is, 
and they've got a lot of different perspectives on immigration right now and this ban that Donald Trump has leveraged. So yeah. how can any of us say with absolute certain – oh my gosh, you're sniffing glue again. Why do you chew on glue sticks and like sniff glue when we get into deep conversations, man? I'm so worried about you. Take <laughs> it out of your mouth. Take that out of your mouth. It's done. It's gone. It's gone. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. But let's look at this immigration ban. Okay. There are people in in our churches, in your church, in my church, who agree and disagree with this position that Donald Trump and thus America has taken on immigrants. Okay. We What's both claim to have we both claim to be riding on the back of the same elephant, and yet we're steering that elephant in completely different directions. But my point is there's a right direction. Yeah. So, okay. So David Koresh thought he was riding the elephant in the right direction too. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying there, but see, Josh, you're talking about this, like in a, in a particular issue, I'm talking about this, like here's this, this for me is the thing. Like I believe in absolute truth, Gabe, but that I cannot know truth. Absolutely. And I agree with that too, actually. But what hence faith, and and I agree with that. What I would say is this though: do, is my faith based on the fact that a guy went in the woods and an angel talked to him, or is my faith based on the fact that a man was killed publicly and then raised to life again publicly, and then the people that followed him went to their graves in painful, violent deaths, claiming that that happened publicly? as a fact of history. My uh, faith is based on that, not that some dude had a private experience. No, so I know that. I'm not, I'm not saying that it wasn't his, rooted in history. But to me, that, that makes all the difference, right? Like, I could go into the woods and be like, I found two golden tablets, and everyone should believe my BS. Like, it, it's just not the same sure. thing. It's, it's not the same thing. Okay, but let's take let, – for, forget Mormonism, okay? Let's take Islam, for example. Which is Muhammad, the same thing, though. But, Muhammad, but, but Muhammad was a, a historical figure. Who, yeah. who all who made, to a very limited degree, similar claims to Jesus of Nazareth, even identifying with no. some of the historical roots. Yes, even no. identifying with historical roots of. Myth. Okay, forget Islam. Same. Listen, forget Islam. Forget Mormonism. Forget Joe. Forget Joey and and Muhammad. All right. Okay. Let's talk Judaism. Let's do it. Don't worry, that was an intentional pause, everyone. Was it? If we talk, if we talk Judaism, here's the thing: if we talk Judaism, we would claim as Christians that we that we trace our lineage back to, you know, the Torah, the prophets, the Psalms, all the, you know, the the other writings, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So, what are we going to say that they're like, sort of hanging on to the elephant's tail? That's what I'm saying. Your analogy breaks down eventually that if we have the elephant, which I believe that we do, no one hear me wrong. I, I fully believe that. So when we have someone as closely to as closely tied to the family as our Jewish brothers and sisters are, yeah. then the analogy breaks down to a certain degree because essentially we're then then there leaves no room for them to ever actually believe that Jesus was fulfillment of messianic prophecies. Because they are on a completely different elephant going in a completely different direction. So your point being that they believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which they do. And we believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of is, is the, the God second of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the second person of that Trinitarian deity. Yep. And right? similarly, 
the those in the Islamic faith believe in that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were historical figures. Right. That Jesus was a historical figure. And right. They're not denying that. They just don't have a saving faith in Jesus that we claim to have. I think so. It's, so it's you're like saying they, God the Father is the elephant. I mean, that I guess to me that's my whole beefcake with what you're getting at. Like I, I'm not I saying God the Father. That. I'm not saying God the Father is the elephant. But if if we go back to forget the elephant thing, if we go okay. back to a, a browser window, all right, and we have multiple tabs pulled up. One tab is Judaism, one tab is Christianity, one tab is Islam. And they're all rooted in the same Mozilla or the same Internet Explorer, right? They have the same – Mozilla. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You like that <laughs> little Firefox action? <laughs> Tom, you would know about that. That came out right around the time you had like a mainframe Apple computer that took up your entire – Still using it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But say, but say it's like you know a Google Chrome internet – provider uh -huh. web browser and i've got three tabs pulled up yeah and they're all rooted in the same browser okay they're all acknowledging the fact that it comes from the world wide web the www that you were referencing earlier but yep. i believe and i trust that only one of those browsers is actually the true picture of what's going on not just now but for all time yeah but you but see here's the problem with you saying that josh you only believe that because you grew up in america what does that have anything to do with it? It has everything because that's that's the whole line of thinking that goes with this is to say, well, if you grew up in Iraq, you'd believe this. And so how do you know that what you believe is true? And what I'm saying is I know what I believe to be true is because it wasn't a random dude going in the woods. It was Jesus being publicly executed and publicly rising from the dead. There's historical documentation from it. Now, do I have to take it on faith that that happened? Do I have to take it on faith that that means something to me? Yes. No, what I'm saying is then why isn't every Jew a Christian? I don't know. They Not believe Jewish. in the same they, – they still acknowledge the – I mean Josephus was a Jew for crying out loud, and he's the one who recorded all of these historical facts about Jesus of Nazareth that we base a lot of our faith yeah. – a lot of our apologetic argumentation on. Yeah, and he – didn't accept him as a savior. I mean, that's what I'm saying. So it's not as if they've got some like completely random elephant they're chasing down through the middle of a woods somewhere, but it's rooted in the same God, yet they don't have the complete fulfillment that we argue that we have. And you're saying the only reason we have that fulfillment is because of faith. Exactly. Yes. I believe that there's a guy who died and rose from the dead, and that resurrection is what ultimately gives me a promise of resurrection that will be confirmed when he comes back and resurrects all the living and the dead. And that is an act of faith. I can't proof text that because it hasn't happened yet. No, you can't proof text that, but you can't pretend that like it's it's the same thing as like – Oh, my forefathers passed this on me, or oh, it's part of the culture that I have. Like, like to me, there's there's more of a validity of the claim of Christianity than anything else in the world. Yeah, I mean, I otherwise, mean, Nietzsche is right, and we're just BSing ourselves. I mean, that that to me is the whole thing. Okay, I mean, yes, to a certain degree, but at the same time, like, I I just I I struggle with I am relying on the same anticipatory waiting of my Jesus to return to confirm yeah. my faith in the same way that Jews around the world are waiting for Messiah to arrive the first time because yeah. they don't believe that Jesus was a Messiah. And so in both acts of faith, in both lenses of spirituality, it is a posture of waiting and trusting and neither has been absolutely confirmed yet. Both are taken on in faith. 
Just look at the okay. disciples. Just look at the disciples. After Jesus' yeah. ascension, before the Holy Spirit shows up, they were they still didn't get it. And they saw the very historic fact that you're referencing that this guy Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead for crying out loud. And it yeah, wasn't but, until Pentecost. Bro, look at what happened to them, though. They said, hey, this guy died and rose again. This is crazy. This means something. The Holy Spirit shows up. And then, like, they go to horrific deaths. Totally. Because they believe this mattered. Like, yeah, no I'm one does I'm that. Not, I'm not debating that. With, so, so I'm not I don't debating that at all. It's, so it's a totally different thing, though. Like, I, I feel like every other religion, it makes sense to follow it because it's convenient. This is the most inconvenient truth, to quote Al Gore. Uh, that, um, no, I laughed. Okay. Uh, that, that, like, no one likes Al Gore. Well, I know. All right, easy. Um, <laughs> but that these guys had to grab onto. So you're saying the Holocaust was super convenient for millions of Jews? No, they went to horrific death. This is all I'm saying. But it wasn't because of their I'm not, faith; it's because of their heritage. Is it? I mean, it's maybe both. Maybe it's both. I'm gonna say it like, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a terribly gross overgeneralization to say that all Jews just simply died because they're like, no, eh, my grandma right. was Jewish, so I'm Jewish. So I'm going to go Hold to on. a freaking gas chamber for it. Like, <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you have to edit this part out. Okay. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, I'm just, I'm just saying, look, we are in agreement, but like, for some reason, I just feel like you're sounding like a humongous Bible thumper. Like Lee Strobel is on this conversation right now, which is so shocking to me because I feel like we've never had a conversation like this before. I think because here's the deal. What happened to your postmodern existentialism, Gabe? What happened to it? What happened I, to it? I fell more into existentialism and fell more away from postmodernism is probably how I'd put it. Oh man. You're so I know. Angry. Because no, do you know why? Because dude, well, this <laughs> we we live in a, like ah, I, the real world of ministry has led me away from the sexiness of postmodernism in academia. Like Ooh, faith. Ooh, cool. We have our we we have the better narrative, and we live in this story. And kumbaya, it doesn't freaking work for most people, man. It just doesn't. Like they want the story of history. What's reality? See, what's that's, actually true? But see, that's what's so funny. That's what's so funny because here we are, both coming from a a ministry perspective, and my context, no one gives a crap. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but. Just for the point of my argumentation, I'm going to use a rhetoric of no one gives a crap of me proving the historicity of any of this stuff at all because my people literally have to live by faith that they're going to wake up the next day. You know what I'm saying? And so like and, – and, and this brings in a whole – this isn't even the realm of our conversation tonight, but it actually highlights this, this differential between – an emphasis on Pauline theology and an emphasis on uh, a rootedness in the historic tradition of Moses and Abraham. Because if you look at Moses and Abraham, they had no nothing definitive to rest on. It was like a random voice that called that they couldn't prove. There was no historical figure to look to that said, hey, follow me. I'm going to send you to the desert or I'm going to send you back to Egypt. But you look at Paul who roots his entire theology on this person, Jesus the Christ, who was crucified and resurrected and ascended and now we can point to him, both Jew and Gentile, as a foundation of our faith. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So even within our own faith tradition and even within our varied context of Austin, Texas, and Chattanooga, Tennessee, we see the different lenses of faith that we are interpreting this exact same 
you know, foundation through the exact same historicity, the exact same person, the exact same story through. And yet I can say with all honesty and integrity, just like you are, that my people and, and, and the, the story that, that we are kind of caught up in has more to do with, I don't really need the proof of a historical figure to, to do it. I rely on this faith. It's been, you know, more in the mosaic tradition versus apparently what it sounds like. And I mean, I'm just completely speaking out the side of my mouth here, but what it sounds like you're saying is that in, in Austin in particular, maybe with people like Alex, maybe with people like Katie, maybe with people in your own church, that the, the difficulty in belief, I guess, to bring it back full circle as well, is whether or not this thing was historically legit. Well, and I don't, neither one of them for, you know, per past two guests, Katie or Alex have ever been like, well, I really doubt the historicity of this and that's my beef. Um, so, so I don't know that it's necessarily that, that they're the best examples of it, but I think like, dude, if it's just, if it's just faith, if it's just like, this is, you know, I see through a mirror dimly and this is all there is and I'm just going to bank on this and like, Dude, then it may as well be your favorite color. It may as well be your favorite food. Then, like, who cares? It's not really rooted in anything. It's just what's getting you through the day. It's just no, what's helping you face not, reality. That's not even true, though, because it, it is rooted in a historical figure. It's rooted in historical faith. It's rooted in a lineage of people who had the same thing, like the entire Old Testament. That's all it was. That's all the people of Israel had to get to grasp onto was faith that maybe this dude Jesus would show up. Maybe this promised Messiah, they didn't even know Jesus it was his name. Maybe this Messiah would show up one day. And so why can't I take the same approach and say, this guy Jesus showed up on the scene. I believe him to be the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets like he said he was, but I'm still having to take it in faith that he's going to show up again to essentially confirm that. Well, yeah, you do have to see. take it in faith that he's going to return and confirm that. But, you, but like, of course, I mean, ugh, I'm, smiling. I'm smiling right now. Josh. Everyone is listening. Gabe is frustrated and I'm smiling. Because I'm going to cut you. I just, <laughs> I wish, I wish you were actually a Christian. I think that's just, you know, what the struggle is. How does that make me not a Christian? No, it does. Uh, I just like. Uh, what Josh. just just in very briefly summarize what yeah. what is your huge beef? Because I know Tom has a question from someone who actually cares and listens, and uh, I think we need to get to it. Okay, fine. So what what is your beef? Just give me give me your beef, and I'm not even gonna respond. I'm just gonna listen. No, it's fine. I no beef at me. My beef, Josh, is like yeah. Obviously, it's not just knowledge; it's faith. Faith is what saves, and it's faith in what Jesus has done, meaning something or mattering, making a difference to, to me and to this world. But it's not like the historicity of Jesus Christ. We don't have to pretend like it's not historically viable and be like, well, it's a faith thing. And, and I feel like that's what you're doing. Nope. I'm just okay to rest in the mystery of the divine. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Tom, please, please give us something better to talk about. Um, I know you had a friend who, who you've spoken with, uh, not about this ridiculous debate that Gabe and I were having, but something else. What was no, it? I, think, I actually think it does kind of, I, I've got a good friend and the question, well, we've been having some really great talks about faith, about um, God, which God, that type of thing. 
Uh, and and the question that he brought up is, okay, he said something very similar to to what Alex said. Like, I totally, I totally believe that there is this thing, this God, this this larger thing. This can't, this world just can't happen this way. But what is how can how can we know that Jesus was was God? What if he was just some great guy? who did some really great things, who said some really great things, who was very charismatic, who got a lot of people to follow him. And if he was like an ancient day Martin Luther King, you know, who yeah. who really had some great things to say and people followed. Like, so what, what's the difference? And I think your your debate that you just had i think answers that a little bit sort of can i answer it more explicitly or josh do you want to just talk about how we should all just hold hands and sing kumbaya and just everything's <laughs> going to work out or can i give a real answer let's go with what the real answer hear, yeah why don't we hear your real answer first and, okay and then i'll pound a drum and sing kumbaya here's a real answer to that is uh and C.S. Lewis talks about this that in Mere Christianity. That the answer to that is like Jesus doesn't leave us that option. Like if you look at how he talks about himself, you know, as, as Lewis says, he's he's either a lunatic or a liar or the devil himself, or he is who he says he is. Like, he doesn't leave the option to be merely an inspirational figure. See, the thing with, like, MLK, for example, is that he was always pointing to something beyond himself. Martin Luther King was always saying, hey, it's it's about this. It's about it's about civil rights. It's about the gospel. Martin Luther King was, was a great Christian, you know? Like, he's like, he was always pointing beyond himself. Jesus is always pointing to himself. And so either Jesus is, like, the biggest megalomaniac in, in history— claiming to be equal with the creator God or he is who he said he was. I mean, that, that's kind of the option he gives us. Um, and that to me is why I get so like pissy with Josh is because that's the whole point of the resurrection is that that validates who he said he was. Now, if someone wants to say, well, well, okay, well, let's say the resurrection was made up, you know, maybe just like those in power, you know, they really wanted to justify their claims and da 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 da. Well, I mean, we know from history that like the first followers of Jesus went to horrific deaths, being skinned alive, being nailed upside down, being boiled alive, being sawed in half. They went to these horrible, horrible deaths claiming that Jesus rose from the dead and that it meant something. Uh, there's no real political advantage to going to your death that way. Uh, so... So to me, it, it lends itself so much credibility that he is who he said he was and that the Gospels have historical reliability. I mean, we have more historical reliability behind the Gospels than we do behind any ancient Roman history than we do behind Tacitus, behind Livy, behind any of those. Dudes. We have more manuscripts. We have more copies. There's just way too much to just pass it by. Which is 100% objectively true without, oh. without argument. Without argument. However, Gabe— However, that doesn't become salvific until it is embraced. <laughs> oh, there might not be a never. There may never be another episode of Pine Glass Futures after this one. However, 
and and don't give me that look because you know this as well as I do from Theo 101 that objectively that is 100% true. And yet I can objectively believe that there was a dude named Jesus who even came back from the dead and not buy into a darned piece of it. And so it isn't until those same disciples, those same apostles, those same followers who were willing to endure those horrible things said, I'm willing to die for it because of a future hope of my own resurrection that it became subjectively salvific. And so all I'm saying is I 100% believe that Jesus was a true human being who died on a cross, who physically rose from the dead, who physically ascended into heaven, that his disciples believed it so much that they even went to their own deaths. And I believe that 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 is a, a saving faith for me to the point that I would go to my own death for it. But the fact, the historical facts don't actually equate to salvation, personal salvation, no. personal justification, no, they don't. until you question, embrace it on a level of faith. That's what it is. Course, That's what the Bible okay, says. Okay, fine, fine. But, but Tom, Josh, the question is this. The question was, how do we know he's not just some figure that had a good following and was a really nice guy? And my point is, we know that because he rose from the dead and people died because of that. And he claimed all but sorts you don't, of crazy but if you stuff don't about something no one else that, You don't know that. That's what I'm saying. If no, you, but you can know that. You just said objectively, historically, you can know that. But if you don't believe it, I, I get your point there, then it's not saving faith. Absolutely true. I just want people to know what they're rejecting. I just want people to say, I'm rejecting a fact that a dude rose from the dead. Like, oh, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. That's fine. Okay. That, uh, that's fine with that, me too. But my whole point is like, I think oftentimes people think the claims of Christianity are just that, that they're simply claims. They're like, here's some so, aspirational truths so, so that you think are nice. So you're saying that people, true. so you're saying that people tend to make these claims based in the subjective versus the objective. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I totally agree, man. See, we're on the same page. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna I'm gonna drive to Chattanooga right now. All that. Oh man. Okay. All right. Here's the deal. We are at time. Do we do we have part? I I feel like you guys have got your parting shots in. Yeah, it's fine. Just close this up, Tom. I'm gonna kill you. So we've just gone through three three episodes of uh, talking about uh, those who do not identify religiously. We have three people here who do believe in the person, the God of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. Uh, and that is what we will continue to, to preach what we will continue to talk about, uh, in, in further episodes, we are actually going to be moving forward, uh, kind of doing a revamp of our show. And so uh, changing, tweaking, doing some little things. We've talked to a lot of you guys. We're going to talk about this more later, but uh, we're excited for what's coming What's coming ahead. Uh, not only heaven and eternal life with Jesus Christ, but also our next episodes. And so uh, with that, Last we want to Last call. Last call. That's right. Uh, before uh, before we go, we always want to uh, give some shout outs. First of all, uh, Pam O'Brien, thanks for listening to us. Uh, Pam, you are Pam. really uh, helping fill out our demographic of uh, of people like my mom who are awesome <laughs> listeners and who love us. So thank you very much. Um, we uh, if you want to go down to uh, Axe Leander and uh, go to church and listen to Gabe argue with you and yell and at you about truth. how you're being subjective <laughs> or something the like truth. that. 
<laughs> Axley Ender, uh, if you want to uh, sing Kumbaya, if you would like to uh, hear about some subjective faith, you can go to uh, Bridge City Community in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Saving and lies. <laughs> saving faith. <laughs> They're both saving faith, so you should go to either of them. Honestly, I would check them both out. Uh, you can find you can find out their podcasts. You can listen to their messages on a weekly basis. Uh, check them out, Ax Leander and Bridge City Community. If you are down on your luck, if you are uh, in a demographic where you need food, you should check out Second Harvest in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, where we are providing 75% of the food and food shelves around Minnesota and Wisconsin. I heard we have With a that, homeless contingent who like is starving <laughs> and somehow has access to the internet and web browsers to listen to our podcast. Well, next episode we can talk about how hungry people are not just homeless and it involves a lot more people. But until then, have a great night, everybody. And remember, Sound of Music was one of the greatest musicals ever. Pray for me. Amen. <laughs>